Cool. Okay. So there might be cat interruptions today. There's absolutely going to be cat interruptions, and I'm fine with that. Uh, hello, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading, where Tori last week or two weeks ago decided that she was going to be a cock tease and tell me that American Gods was an option at the end after already having pitched Coraline. Yep, these things happen. Uh, so we're reading Coraline uh, slightly to my chagrin. Not that I have any issue with Neil Gaiman or with Coraline. I'm just afraid of dolls. I mean, that seems fair. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a lot um, of anthropologists believe that they were vessels for souls, so... I mean, when Aaron Menke was still making good episodes of lore, that Robert the Doll one was pretty good at causing nightmares. Oh, yeah. I remember being a kid and hearing about that. So if, if y'all are not aware, there is a doll in um, Key West in this museum now. But supposedly... Yeah, he was not always in a museum. Yeah, supposedly his facial change or face changes. And if you take a picture of him without his permission, he causes havoc in your life. Yeah, uh, listen to the one good lore episode about Robert the Doll. Don't watch the Amazon TV episode about it. Uh, they change a lot of things. But listen to the lore episode. Uh, Tori, what is on the, the menu, the tasting plates today? So we're basically kind of just doing a 90s childhood flashback for snacks. Yep. Um, I used to always steal my mom's Diet Coke, so I have a Diet Coke. I got my favorite Lunchable, the Ham and Swiss. I got Bugles 100 Grand Bar, which is my favorite candy bar. And I got a Fruit Punch, all from 7-Eleven, because my dad fucking loved 7-Eleven. I don't know why, but he fucking loved 7-Eleven. So I have very succinctly recreated a lunch if, like, dad had to take me to school and we're running late. So I got to, like, go run to 7-Eleven and grab everything. <laughs> I've not had a Lunchable in at least 20 years. I am very concerned about what they let us eat because apparently the new ones are healthier. Really? They have more protein, but I will never forget this brick of cheese. Ah, uh, yes. Where so, you could separate it into the slices, but a lot of yeah. kids started eating it in one bite. Oh, I would just, the just world burn. fucking chomp down. Everything looks so artificial, and I know that, but let's see if this is ASMR. It tastes exactly the same. I don't think that's a good thing. I was like, that's a little terrifying. It's kind of like- It tastes exactly the same. So when I was a kid, for some reason, I would collect McDonald's uh, kids' meal boxes and put them under the bed. And my mom cleaned out my room once and all the French fries and like half eaten burgers looked exactly the same as the day that we got them. And my mom was oh, like, this, yeah. this is probably a bad thing. <laughs> I remember seeing that and uh, oh my God, it was super size me. Or like one of the experiments they did was like, they put like a burger in like a glass jar and they sealed it off and it like didn't age. Like it stayed in there for like, I think years and just like nothing happened to it. And it's like, I don't feel like this is food, but it's McDonald's. Like, you know what you're getting into. So we're having a taste of the nineties when we were children, uh, because we're going to be talking a lot about a thing that Tori and I have in common, which is childhood trauma. 
you guys can't see me like putting doing the thumbs up like yep um anyway for those of you who don't know there um there is a movie for Coraline which you, most people have probably seen that versus the book um there yes. are differences there are there's a lot of differences actually um but it's a it's a fun movie until you're absolutely terrified towards the end <laughs> I okay I like the ideas behind it but the movie definitely made me not like it very much just because it's terrifying so it was 2009 I think I was in my my 20s and I went to see it with my roommate at the time and the other mother's hand shooting forward on the screen scared the shit out of both of us. Nope. We were both like, no, nah, no, no. we're not doing that. No. And I've had a fear of dolls since I was a kid. Because my grandma kept too many, but like they were the dolls that you couldn't play with as a child because they were the collector Barbies. And like I couldn't touch them. So just having them like all over the room and stuff like that was really scary. I'm looking at this lunch. What was small Amanda doing? The best she could. You know. <laughs> You're not wrong. But that brings me no joy. <laughs> You're not incorrect. But that hurts so much. <laughs> All right. I'm in a short story. Uh, do we need to like trigger warning this for like childhood trauma and like scary doll shit? um i mean i guess it it is kind of dead parent approved though because no parents really die um it's not dead child approved no uh no, that if that squirts you out yeah see that ambulance heard us it was it's coming for our trauma oh my gosh this cat is perfect is left the onto, sentence she's left onto my lap and scared me Oh, she hurt. Oh, no. Jump scare cat. She believes that she needs to be part of the podcast always. I mean, she does. Also, I'm looking at my gamer girl setup right now. Everything is RGB LED. Like everything. Okay. I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. Uh, red, green, blue oh. LED lights, like rainbow. Uh... Keyboard is rainbow. The headphone stand is rainbow. The mouse is rainbow. The fan, though, is pink. Have you told the uh, the listeners what you just purchased for your headphones? Oh, I bought two headphone crowns. One is rose gold. I'm very excited to see what these look like. And one looks like Princess Peach's crown. I'm very excited for this. I've I have girl bossed so close to the sun, and I bought myself a new fan because my old fan was loud, and this fan is actually louder, but it's pink. I'm going to make an improvement. I mean, kind of. I was like, I bought this fan because you said it was quieter. JKLOL, you are not quieter. And there is still a Japanese long-tailed tit that uh, gives me something to focus on when I'm recording to myself. A Japanese long-tailed tit, of course, being a small bird <laughs> who sits underneath my ring light. So when I'm recording by myself, I have something in front of the camera to look at so I'm not looking at the camera. I am a consummate professional. 
All right. Yes, we know. Thank you. Sorry about that. Had to take a quick break, which our listeners won't understand, well, won't hear other than us going, we understand it's recording. <laughs> yes. All right. I'm going to roll into short story long. Go ahead. Coraline, not Caroline. Jones and her parents have moved into an older Victorian style home that's been divided into multiple apartment units. Mm-hmm. She has a variety of odd neighbors, including two old women who always talk about their days on a vaudeville stage and keep their dead dogs taxidermied, which is creepy, and an old man who was working to secretly train his mice to be part of a mice only circus when there's a black cat that hangs around the house all the time. I'm not Where seeing we- any problems here. Right? I want to hang out with the mice circus. Anyway, Coraline is bored really bored when her father and mother are both too busy to play with her because they work from home writing catalogs she asks if she can explore the room in the house where her parents keep all the fancy furniture that came from her deceased grandma this is mentioned at least twice that it came from her deceased grandma which freaks me out a little bit do not go into the room with the haunted dead lady furniture she finds a small door in the wall but it's locked so she gets a copy of the key and when she opens the door it just shows a brick wall her parents tell her to go and bother the neighbors when she has tea with the old vodka ladies, they tell her that the tea leaves show that she's in great danger. They give her a stone with a hole in it, which they refer to as the adder stone, which supposedly can help her see other dimensions and truths. With a rainy world outside and nothing to do, Coraline unlocks the door again when she's home by herself, but instead of a brick wall, she finds a long hallway that leads to an apartment that is identical to her own, except for different colors and another mother and another father who both have buttons for eyes. Coraline yeah. is obviously going to be a little bit freaked out by the fact that the other mother seems to just be a taller, thinner version of her real mom mm-hmm. and has skin the color of white printer paper and really long red nails. Oh, and her hair for some reason moves by itself. No wind needed. That I didn't like. Instead of the weird recipes her dad normally tries to cook, the other mother makes Coraline a meal of stuff she actually enjoys. So there's like turkey and ice cream and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. She shows Coraline a box of toys in a version of her room that can move and fly on their own. No. Explores and finds out that the vaudeville ladies really do perform in this area. And they have a theater in their flat where they put on shows Mm -hmm. with their dogs as the audience. The man upstairs really does have a mouse circus. And the black cat in this place can talk. The cat lives in both worlds. So he's a liminal creature and says that he can go between both dimensions, despite the fact the other mother is perpetually trying to keep him out. When she talks to the other mother, Coraline is offered a chance to stay in this new world permanently. But if she does that, she'll need to have buttons sewn over her eyes. Coraline nopes the F out of there and goes Mm -hmm. back to her own flat. Her parents aren't home, which is odd because they work from home. So Coraline just microwaves herself a pizza and then her parents still aren't home. So she puts herself to bed and the next morning she wakes up and realizes that is that her parents still aren't there. Um, Okay. The black cat takes her to the mirror in the hallway and she sees that her parents are trapped in the mirror. She calls Mm -hmm. the police who don't believe a little girl saying that her parents are trapped in a mirror, obviously. Uh, Coraline knows that the other mother has kidnapped her parents and she's going to have to return to the creepy unit to save them. Sure. So in the other world, the cat tells Coraline that the other mother loves challenges and games. Mm -hmm. The mother sees Coraline and tries to convince her to stay with her forever. When Coraline refuses, she is locked in a small cabinet behind the mirror. She can only sit and can't lie down. When inside, she hears voices. 
These voices are of three ghost children, all who have fallen victim to the other mother, which they refer to as Bedlam. Mm-hmm. They tell her that each of them was a beloved plaything of Bedlam until she got bored and trapped their souls. So if their souls can be taken from her clutches, they can actually get some peace in the afterlife. Oh. They make Coraline to escape and help them and help them. And Coraline eventually falls asleep in a sitting position, which mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to remember why this book was so popular for children. <laughs> like, uh, I don't understand. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably go into that in a little bit, but I also do not get why this was popular with children, but do go on. So Bedlam takes Coraline out from behind the mirror and remembering the cat's words, she tells Bedlam that she wants to play a game. If she mm-hmm. can find the souls of the ghost children and her parents, Bedlam will have to let them all go free. But if mm-hmm. she fails, she'll let Bedlam sew buttons over her eyes and keep her. Coraline goes through terrifying adventures, including having to get one of the souls out from inside a weird sack that holds both of the vaudeville ladies in like some weird sticky monster, almost mm-hmm. getting eaten by the other father, who is now some weird doughy pasty version of himself who's being controlled by Bedlam, mm-hmm. and rats crawling all over her body. She figures out that her parents are being stored in a snow globe on the mantle in the other mother's house because there isn't a snow globe in her regular home. Mm-hmm. The ghost kids warn her that even if she wins, there's no way Bedlam is going to let her leave. She tricks Bedlam by saying she knows where her parents are hidden and then saying that they're in the passageway between dimensions. Mm-hmm. Bedlam swings the door open in her typical chance to gloat, but Coraline throws the, pa- or throws the cat at Bedlam, grabs the snow globe, and escapes into the real world with the key. She Mm -hmm. slams the door in Bedlam's hand. Back at home, she falls asleep in her chair, only to be woken up by her parents, who have no memory of where they've been for the past two days. Okay. Coraline then has a dream about meeting the three kids at the picnic, or at a picnic, and they tell her that Bedlam's hand is still going to do everything it's ca- it can to unlock the door. So she needs to be really careful. And then they go <laughs> off into the afterlife. So during the day, after being pretty terrified by the like rustling of this hand at night, Coraline sets up a, t- a fake picnic over an old well in the woods that the vaudeville women have always been like, hey, stay away from this. You don't want to fall into it. She mm-hmm. sets a blanket over the well, puts the keys on top, keeping everything held down with dolls and a tea set. She sees the hand scuttling through the brush. It leaps to grab the key, but it, the blanket, and the key all fall into the well, hopefully to be never seen again. And then she goes to school. Tori, why book for children? I don't know. (laughs) If if that reference sounds weird, I literally was referencing um, the producers, but the live action movie that everyone hates. Uh, because it's too much like the musical it's like why book for children who who book for children what I think is really interesting about a lot of Neil Mm -hmm. Gaiman stories is that they almost all involve serious trauma being in some place your your parents don't want you to be Mm -hmm. um not believing in the powers that control you Mm-hmm. Uh, finding out that everything is fake mm-hmm. or something completely different and when you find out about his childhood oh it makes a lot more sense but anyhow we're gonna go I, just, I, I have a hot take hmm. I think Neil Gaiman is just hipster intellectual Tim Burton I love him 
I don't think that that's bad. I just feel like those two audiences don't think they have an overlap when they have a massive overlap. They do have a massive overlap. But they don't think they have a massive overlap. And I think that's what's funny. But like they they're absolutely like it is the same, it is the same picture. Like I I don't dislike Neil Gaiman. I think Neil Gaiman to me is in that same kind of like void with like Alan Moore and stuff, where it's like, I get that you've read his work, but I don't think you understand it. Like Terry Pratchett, Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore, they're all like in this void that are also like red flags and like most men. It's like, okay, cool. I get that you have a lot of opinions about like Sandman, but I don't think you really understand what any of this is all about. There is definitely, like you said, the overlap. I remember when I was dating people and they'd tell me they liked a particular person like Alan Moore or something like Mm -hmm. that. I'd be like, okay, well, who's your favorite character? If they said Rorschach from Watchmen, it was over. (laughs) <laughs> like you, you've missed the point entirely yeah absolutely like, yeah like if you if you go in and you say my favorite alan moore is the killing joke like i'm sorry even though that's my answer you as a i'm assuming cis or a white man i do not trust you <laughs> you are an incel or a serial killer and i do not trust you <laughs> so but yeah of- the things that I love about this book is there is so much to do with the liminal, which is um, like liminal spaces, which is basically when something is not fully one thing or another. So these are times like twilight and um, dawn. These are things like in, in at least in um, neo-pagan religions, Samhain. So like when they're, the veils are thin between the worlds, things like that so you have I was thinking of like when you go into a grocery store at like three o'clock in the morning and all the lights are on and there's no one there that's always creepy ah, ah, ah. that's also a liminal space for a lot of people uh there's a really really cool like liminal like uh Instagram like aesthetic Instagrams that are kind of fun because liminal spaces are very much um word that is overused because no one understands it uh uncanny like they very much do uh, live in the uncanny valley. Um, the uncanny valley, of course, being that thing where like this presentation looks almost human, but you can tell it is not human. And that part scares us. So like when CGI is bad uh, and like the character looks like they're almost human, but not really, that's uncanny. Um, a lot of dolls, which we're going to get into fucking dolls. Um, dolls usually are uncanny valley for a lot of people because they look like people, but they're not. And they're always smiling and they're weird and they will watch you. And sometimes you feel like their eyes move when you're not looking. Ah. <laughs> and the funny soft, thing is soft scream. These are things that you usually see in dark fairy tales. And this is very much a dark fairy tale. Um, even mm-hmm. down to the adder stone, which in some cultures is also called the hag stone. And these are stones that are usually found like naturally washed up somewhere like a lake or a river or ocean. And they have a hole in them. And it was believed that if you looked through those, then you could see fairyland or you could see, you know, what the real things were going on around you for like the invisible world. And so I think Don't that's- Don't we not want to invite fairies into the house? For the most part. Okay, I'm just making sure because everything I've read about the Fae and the Fair Folk, you don't necessarily want them in the house. 
So the thing that I find really fascinating, and, and if you want to hurt yourself by reading it, because it's basically a textbook, um, there's a book called The Trickster and the Paranormal, and it goes through a whole thing about the liminal is where the trickster lives. It's where the thing that forces us to look at both sides of ourself, mm-hmm. it's the thing that causes chaos, it's the thing that causes trauma. Um, so this would be like the other mother or bedlam wanting to move between the worlds. Now who we have that actually moves between the worlds is a cat and he is definitely a trickster figure, but he's a helpful trickster figure. He is a creature that knows that he can communicate directly with Coraline in this other world. But when he goes back to the other one, he has, he's like the quote unquote real world. He is required mm-hmm. by human constructs to not talk. But when he's out of that, when he's in the invisible world, then he can do whatever he wants. Um, and that's why it's so crucial that the other mother be able to keep him out because if he is in her world, like her particular world, then he mm-hmm. can undo everything that she's done. Yeah, I can see that being uh, a concern for her uh, counter. Um, don't talk to weird animals that uh, are unfamiliar to you. Actually, just don't talk to animals, like strange animals. That sounds like a great way to get haunted. So what's interesting is almost, uh, there's a huge collection of different fairy tales and stuff like that that involve either the fae, which are usually seen as, as tricksters and have very different morality than human beings, mm-hmm. um, leading you onto a quest or talking mm-hmm. animals leading you onto a quest. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've talked about some of that, like when we were talking about Gawain and things like that, where you're just going, uh, <laughs> am I supposed to follow this? What is happening? Why are we doing this? Yeah. And I think like that, it's one of those things that suspension of disbelief, obviously as an adult, makes it kind of hard, you know, to believe in. Because, you know, 31-year-old Amanda sees a black cat and it says, I have a quest for you. It's like, nah, nah, fam. <laughs> I gotta go pick up groceries. I don't have time. Right, like, I'm, I'm, I don't have time for this. I, I, don't think, I don't think my insurance will cover this. But, you know, as a kid, I mean, I don't know. I was still a pretty suspicious and nervy kid. Thank you, trauma. Uh, but <laughs> it was more likely, I guess. Uh, also, I love that you brought up the trickster archetype because that's also one of the ones that like is one of those like Jungian universal archetypes, like every major religion, uh, especially the polytheistic ones, do have a trickster archetype. I mean, technically some of the monotheistic religions do, depending on like how you read Satan. Uh, again, depending on adversary versus ruler of hell. <laughs> right like and sometimes he's just like a dumb prankster like the whole fucking lot and job thing sometimes he's just a fun prankster uh we shall see but yeah you know maybe maybe don't just go listening to random animals and also don't go investigating weird crawl spaces uh did you want to briefly discuss uh we already talked about changing in the seasons a little bit with like with liminal spaces, you know, changing in the seasons does represent, you know, passage of time and stuff like that. Um, I don't want to say that they're usually fluid because we're both from Texas or we both live in Texas <laughs> and there is no such thing as a like fluid season change. It's like this week. 
it was 71 and then it was 32. Yeah. We had a 40 degree temperature drop like in 12 hours. Uh, Honestly, do you know what it kind of reminds me of? And I know I'm probably going to get panned for this. Do you remember in a Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban? When they're like using like the whopping willow to show like the difference of time, and then just like one day, like all the leaves fall off. That's Texas. Just <laughs> everything. Yeah, it's like, oh, we're done now. Yeah, we're done. Just we're done. Uh, like we weren't expecting to get winter uh, now, but yeah, we literally had a 40 degree drop. Uh, most of us did not get a wintry mix or snow. It was kind of a fluffed up thing. Thank God, because all of us are still staring at the power grid going like, don't fail. Don't you fail. We need you. Yeah, like, so so you guys probably heard us, our February episodes last year when everything went down and broke. Um, so there's, there's a huge collective trauma in Texas right now of, mm-hmm. like, when they said that there was probably going to be heavy snow, the entire supermarket areas, like, or supermarkets in our areas were just swept clean. Like people yes. went in and bought like five loaves of bread and like mm-hmm. four things of milk. And it was mm-hmm. one of those things where you're going, okay, but here's the thing. You're not going to eat that in a week or when that goes bad, mm-hmm. it's not going to store. Like, mm-hmm. So you really just took it from people who also need it. Well, and I also think what's funny is uh, it's the people like me who don't know how to shop for this stuff. Like, I don't know how to shop for an emergency. We went to that wonderful emergency preparedness course together. And I was still, so there's a story that I feel like is very reminiscent of me and who I am. I was a Girl Scout once. This is shocking news to everyone. But I was once a Girl Scout and we went camping. It was our first camping trip. There was a tornado that touched down not too far from us. So it was storming, it was raining, there was wind, there was hail. And we're like, fuck, like if something happens, like we need to go gather like supplies, we need to go gather food. We go to the mess hall, like me and my friends. We grab instant coffee, chocolate pudding, Oreos, and gummy worms so we can have coffee in dirt cups. <laughs> That's what we grab. Those are our necessities. <laughs> I was in junior high. <laughs> Those are that was what we felt like we needed for survival. <laughs> like, I don't know how to shop for this shit. I don't know what I'm doing. I have a daikon radish in the fridge. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with anything. I was laughing because what usually happens after all of this as well is that um, the stores continue to have issues for a few days after. So HEB is soon at our supermarket chain that's like the biggest one out here. um, They put up an alert on their app and their website that was like, if you're ordering groceries, please understand there will be substitutions. Yes, there absolutely will be substitutions. And then I'm over here just like, I don't know what anything is. Just get me something. Just, just something. Something is fine. Can I eat this? Okay. May, can I eat this? Can I have a cake in the storm? The answer is yes. Excellent. Uh, (laughs) so we were talking about that uncanny thing as well and Mm -hmm. a big thing in this is a lack of eyes Uh, so so much everybody on the the opposite side has button eyes 
quick pop quiz. What is the term for removal of eyes? I don't know. What is it? Enucleation. And uh. serial killers that remove eyes are enucleators. Fun fact, there are a shocking amount of serial killers that do enucleation because it is said that it removes their victim's ability to see and thus they do not see the terror that is about to befall them. Enucleation is typically not fatal. So eye stuff always terrifies me. I, I hate eye stuff so much. Because if you puncture certain things, it will never, it doesn't fill back up. Nope. You just lose an eye. And like, that's something that freaks me out too. Cause I've been playing, yes, I've been playing The Witcher 3. Of course I have. There's a character in this, in Skellige that <clears throat> stabs himself in the eye because he believes the gods are telling him to do it. Spoiler alert, it's a demon. But um as Geralt comes back and he's like when did the god tell you to do this like two seconds after I walked out because I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure you're insane <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, anyway like Brianna is leaning over my shoulder going I want to see and I'm like I don't want to see so if you want to feel free tell me what happens like <laughs> yeah and enucleation was never my thing I say as not a serial killer uh I don't know why I said it that way. I love how you're uh, regular human bartender. <laughs> yes. Hello. Hello, everyone. Regular, regular human woman here. Uh, I, I've never done an enucleation. Uh, but yeah, like in a lack of eyes, of course, symbolizing. Usually it symbolizes also a lot of like stuff when it comes to death. There's a lot of death practice almost universally about like removing the eyes or covering the eyes. That is not a Christian thing. That is a pagan thing. So when you go to your Christian funeral home and they still cover someone's eyes, it is not a courtesy, it is pagan, which is going to be our next sticker design. It is not courtesy, it is indeed pagan. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think it's a courtesy. No one fucking cares. What's, it's what's so pagan. Is like reading certain books that I read when I was a kid and then now being like, like when we read Carmilla and it was like, oh, look, there's a whole passage about using these special charms that were like definitely local pagan practice to keep away vampires. Oh, okay. There, I went to one of the missions. It was one of the missions in Goliad and they had a corpse store. This is a Catholic mission with a corpse store. That's the whole reason Jesus did the thing. Did the thing. <laughs> we're not gonna talk about what is I that just- It's gonna be the next sticker. That's why Jesus did the thing. I guess so. <laughs> Amanda is a bad Catholic. Mark that off on the big car. <laughs> That's the whole reason he did the whole damn thing. So we didn't have to worry about that. But like there was, a, I was so shocked to see a corpse store on fucking, on a, a church, a Catholic church. And this dated from the 1500s or so. And it's just like, what are you doing here, friend? What's going on? Well, it's so funny because so many practices like knocking on wood and like, I'm like, what else is there? There's a lot. <laughs> They're wishing on a star. All this stuff is like pagan practice. A lot of it is folk magic and it just crossing your fingers. Like yeah. it cracks me up because people are like, well, I'm a good Christian woman and I would never, ever, ever, ever do anything that is witchcraft. And I'm like, you but literally you just so told your kid pagan. to wish on a star. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It's like, but you do so many pagan things and like 
that's so weird to me. And I, and I get it. Like we all, we all do. We do so many little pagan things we've never thought about in our lives, but like, then you can't be mad at pagans. Like, I think that's my thing is you can't be angry then at pagans if you're gonna do that. You are- So many religions overlap. So many have- And so many just stolen things. So many have just jacked information and stuff from other religions because it was easier and or conquest. The Romans. The Romans, the Christians. A lot of them. Frankly, frankly, too many of them to be realistic. Um, okay. So we've talked about uh, weird eye stuff. Oh, also, you know, the covering of the eyes means that they cannot truly see. We know, we know, we know. Um, okay. So do we want to do scary doubles or the light and dark side of repairs? Let's do the scary doubles. Okay. Uh, go watch Us by uh, Jordan Peele. So there's there's a belief <laughs> with doppelgangers where if yes. you see a doppelganger you're going to die, <laughs> or yeah. one of you is going to die. Yeah, one um, of you is going to die. Uh, yeah, just go watch us by uh, Jordan Peele. Yeah, um, and be terrified. Yeah, technically it's not a it's not a metaphor about a, a poor uprising. It's a metaphor about an upper cl- a middle class upper uh, uprising, which I like a lot more. But basically, yeah, it's the idea that like there's another version of you and those that you love, but one is scary and trying to kill you, and that there's another world and another society. There's a lot of stories about that for children, and I think it kind of does probably play to that like concern about the Fae that people have been very, very worried about, that there's this other world that is still like kind of tantalizing. It's also why we keep telling kids to get out of the fucking woods. Well, also, a lot of people, when somebody died, they would say, oh, well, they were taken by the Fae. Yes. That was a a big thing, is that the the belief that you didn't really die, you were just taken. Which is so freaking weird, but okay. I was going to say, is that what happened to dad? (laughs) But there's... But then, you know, there's also the belief that when, for a lot of cultures, that when you leave your body, you join either the giant energy itself or you um, recycle into a different body type universe. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never died, so I, I can't tell you. Thank, thank you for confirming that. Uh, yeah, for Catholics, you should be ushered in by the litany of the saints. I know it's the liturgy of the saints, but I've always called it the litany of saints because we have too fucking many. We have two, there's so many saints in the Roman Catholic faith. There's just so many. I and I don't know why we have so many. Into the, the pagan practice part of that, but I will not. <laughs> I mean, you're welcome to do so. Literally, no one should fight you on that. They're going to, but they're not going to. So- in the, the concept of scary doubles, we also have the light and dark sides of ourselves and our parents. Yes, so, mostly our parents for the sake of Coraline. Yes. So you always, you always have this whole belief, you know, parents are supposed to be loving and supportive and guide you <laughs> and do that kind of stuff. But our parents are human. 
so there are parts of them that we're not going to like you know we're not Mm going to like the discipline we're not going to like them trying to expand our horizons so that's what's Mm -hmm. so interesting to me is like her dad her real dad is like hey I'm going to make this recipe and I'm going to see if you will eat it and she's like no I'm going to go microwave a pizza and then the the other father and other mother are like, oh, look, we've just made all of your favorites for you. It's it's that whole thing of sometimes the cruelty or the where, where you feel like you're being victimized and forced to go to bed at eight or mm-hmm. forced to eat a different food or, mm-hmm. you know, forced to go to school or learn how to entertain yourself. Mm-hmm. You start thinking, oh, my parents are so evil. But a lot of mm-hmm. times that's just, you know, training you. Um, but I also, and this might be my childhood trauma talking, I think it's also important to acknowledge when that isn't just that. Right. Because I think a lot of that, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, I think a lot of that air quotes training is honestly just abused. Or at, ver- sure. or at very least, it's very maladaptive ways to get things done. Like peek behind the curtain, an ongoing battle me and my aunts have been having recently is getting her to acknowledge that she was abusive. She was, even if, to, even if she does not think that she was, she was. That's the funny thing about being abusive. You don't always think that you are. And her defense has always been, well, look how you turned out. You turned out okay. As in, I'm still alive, I guess. Um, but she does not see that that training and the way that she went about doing it was still abusive and maladaptive. So while yes, a lot of that training is good and is beneficial for us, oftentimes the way it's done is not healthy or good and leaves children with very deep mental scars that turn into sexual deviation, bad money problems, insomnia and chronic illness in adults. (laughs) I will always remember and keep in mind, my grandmother was wonderful. She was so sweet. She was so kind, but I still remember seventh grade putting on a Hawaiian dress for our like seventh grade dance and her looking at me and going, you look like a sausage, wear something else. And that will stick with me forever, which is why I wear certain outfits versus others. My great grandma looked at me during one visit and said, I wish I could gain weight like you do. Damn. <laughs> like, what do you even do with that? It's like, thank you. So we've been watching a lot of Golden Girls because of course, and I, I would that. hate to have a mom like Sophia. I would hate it. She's yeah, so she was not a great mom. She's savage, but she's like, yeah. and I know it's funny on a show, but when you have that in real life, it's just like, Oh my God, shut up. (laughs) So I really don't like uh, giving any credit to Guardians of the Galaxy because I don't think they're that good of a movie. But Lindsay Ellis did a video about uh, bad parenting in Guardians of the Galaxy and how it made her feel. And it's it's a masterful video essay. I've cried so many times watching it. But I think it's a really, really good uh, condensed media studies way to talk about yeah, what your parents did that they thought was funny, that they thought was helping was oftentimes abusive and really, really shitty and hurt us a lot. Like she talks about uh, in the movies where Yondu's like, yeah, I was a great dad. And Peter's like, you always threatened to sell me into slavery and you know, you terrify me. And Yondu's just like, well, but I didn't. It's like, but it still hurt. It still 
fucked him up. Like it doesn't again, it's not uh, invalid all the shitty things his character does, and also fuck you, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. But um, you know, I think that I think that that come to Jesus that a lot of our generation is going through, and that a lot of the younger generations just fucking calling out comes into that. But yes, a lot of it is our parents trying to raise us to be happy, productive members of society. But that in and of itself is a fundamentally flawed foundation that is exceedingly heteronormative, that is exceedingly misogynistic, is painfully patriarchal, and leaves no little room for any kind of individualization, any kind of neurodivergency, any kind of just not being a fucking straight like it's trying to put all of these weird shaped pieces into a very, very narrow definition of what society means, not to get all joker on people. Cause I don't think that movie was as smart as everyone says it is. I still haven't seen it. I will not see it on principle, but I can promise you it's not as smart as everyone says it is. Uh, so yeah, that's me projecting about my uh, childhood trauma because I don't have therapy for another couple of weeks. So one of the things I do find interesting is that the ghost kids and everybody end up calling this demon creature whatever she is bedlam Mm -hmm. which bedlam hospital was bethlehem hospital but everyone called it bedlam Mm -hmm. in london was one of the scariest places you could end up if you had psychological problems Mm -hmm. uh yeah it was to to put it nicely uh it was bad but it didn't start out bad it became bad it was sort of like a waverly and stuff like that it's a lot of those old like sanitariums that started out okay and for a couple of years it was okay and then very quickly it was no longer okay because you would have understaffing and you would have way 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 too many patients and a lot of yeah. them didn't need to be there and unfortunately a lot of them did and just the understanding of mental illness and mental health at the time was not great uh Unfortunately, we're not too much better for some of these other illnesses, like the more psychotic ones. You still don't really know what to do with when those people do bad things. Um, but yeah, bedlam also kind of just became like synonymous with like chaos because when people would come in, it was just, it was insane. People were running around, there was noise, there was mess, there was animals. Uh, so bedlam quickly became a shorthand for chaos, which I think is interesting that it turns the other mother into this sort of chaos figure. It also reminds me of the distortion that kids view the world through. And this is something that I've had to come to terms with. Again, welcome to Amanda's thinly veiled therapy session. Uh, a great sticker. We're Amanda's helping. Thin- We're helping. Uh, that, you know, when you look at like the lens you saw your parents through, and like, yeah, getting fed a vegetable felt like a fucking betrayal. It's like, oh, you hate me. Why don't you love me? It's like, it's broccoli. <laughs> it's broccoli. Yeah, there's a difference between broccoli and beatings. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes broccoli can be beatings because maladaptive food stuff does happen. But like, I think also it comes down to just the lens of how we view our parents. And like, when they're bad, it's really, really bad. There's a school of life video that talks about, um, when kids don't have a happy childhood or when they have negligent parents, what that means to them. And um, it, I, I started crying immediately when I saw this video because it hit too close to home. And it said, children who are neglected by their parents 
have no other recourse but to make it about them. Because when you're a baby or you're a child, you're relying on your parents for everything. That's why we're designed to be so cute is because we are trying to tell this person, uh, hey, please take care of us. Unlike the target mouths and birds that I showed Tori earlier that she hates. I hate them so much. Uh, so we're designed, we're, we're here to do everything that we can to show to our parents, hey, I need you to keep feeding me and changing me and bathing me and stuff. Um, and when they don't do that, uh, we get upset because we can't do those things for ourselves. But we don't have any reason to be upset at the almighty caregiver. So we turn that on ourselves. We think that we're not cute enough. We're not good enough. We don't deserve their love and that it's our fault. And that fucks you up for the remainder of your life. Uh, it feels like that, that that bigger lens of this is a bad parent. So we're just going to name it what fucking chaos is. And that's what having not so great parents does. It's, it takes things that feel innocuous and turns them into nightmares. Yeah, I didn't have a great childhood, so. <laughs> ah, <laughs> I didn't have a great childhood. We also have for our, our notes, things about keys. So keys are a very big part of the story mm-hmm. where who has the keys is the one who has the power. Yes. Uh, that is an, uh, an analogy towards prisons because if you have the keys there, you're typically the warden, which means you can control access or lack of access. Um, also, just typically being a key holder means that, you know, you have some power, you have some sway over how things go. And that's really important to some people. Um, yeah, keys are weird. I mean, all of this is weird. All of this is so weird, but it's okay. We're going to get through this together. <laughs> so I'm going to go gonna get through this together. I'm moving on to about the text in Neil Gaiman. So I promised you there are some interesting things about this. Neil I Richard... never doubted that there were. <laughs> Neil Richard Gaiman was born November 10th, 1960 in England. Mm-hmm. Um, his family is po- Polish Jewish and Eastern European Jewish. His grandfather actually had a chain of groceries in Portsmouth and then changed their last name from Chayman to Gaiman. Um, mm-hmm. It sounded more English, I guess. Um, Neil's yeah, dad yeah, worked yeah. at the grocery store and his mom was a pharmacist and that's how they got mm-hmm. started. And because evidently I can't do anything in my life without revolving around cults. In 1965, his parents were suckered into moving to West Sussex where um, they studied Dianetics at the local Scientology center. yeah one of his sisters still works in scientology in los angeles no Um, neil does not um he he basically calls himself like just basically an english atheist um (laughs) so he grew up with both scientologist and jewish teachings um Mm -hmm. but he has no allegiance to either church um he calls them his family's religions so Mm -hmm. when i was joking about finding out that certain things are not as they seem that's what i was talking about anyway yeah i mean side sidebar you can definitely also read a lot of um, escaping from religion through the eyes of Coraline. you can probably read too much of that that might also be one of the reasons why it did sort of flag me uh with some catholic stress oh you see this in you see this in american gods you see this in neverwhere you see this in anansi boys like 
that leaving behind something that structures that have always guided you that you're unhappy with yeah that's Mm -hmm. all over it um and he's obviously still alive so I'm really terrified of him listening to this episode and being like no that's not any of it but (laughs) you think he would I I don't know he's he's a really cool dude he um did we tag him I don't want to tag him I don't want him to know (laughs) I want him to know um so I've met him he's a really really cool guy he actually stayed at a signing till two in the morning um for ocean at the end of the lane i was there with my friends we were almost the last group and he was still signing and talking and just being a very very cool guy um i have heard other stories but he's always seemed pretty chill to me and Um, just remember uh typically when we cancel someone it is very rarely a singular incident right so you know sometimes people have bad days i've had bad days not a lot of bad days it's called having clinical depression what I do appreciate is Gaiman is very supportive of people writing fan fiction. And so he's like, go for it. Have fun. Let me know. Like, <laughs> See, we should tag him. So He um, would like to know that we're doing this with his stuff. I don't know. So anyway, he evidently started reading at four and was obsessed with school. He did well mm-hmm. in school because he read everything in advance. I mean, mm-hmm. I understand that one well. Um, he was fascinated by J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, but the library only had the first two books. So mm-hmm. then he w- won a school English prize and bought the third volume to read so that he would be able to read the entire thing. Like, can you Nerd. imagine not being allowed, not being able to finish Return of the King until you're like, I got to win this prize? Um, he was also yeah. in C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. And these um, also introduced him to the concept of book awards, which is funny because he ended up winning a lot of them. Um, he was also into Alice in Wonderland and Batman comics. <laughs> he met his first wife, Mary McGrath, while she was studying Scientology, and they had their son, Michael. Um, they married in 1985. Um, in the early 80s, he started to pursue journalism and made connections that would help get him published. Mm-hmm. And he published his first story. It was called Feather Quest in Imagine Magazine, May 1984. Um, mm-hmm. He then quit journalism because he was tired of all the lies published by the press. Mm -hmm. Um, and lack of research Um, and then in 1984 he actually found a copy of Swamp Thing written by Alan Moore yes the weird Rasputin looking Alan Moore Um, and he read it cover to cover and this is important because they became friends and Gaiman learned his style of writing an outline for comic books from him so this is um, I actually have the book behind me with it's basically like comic writers on writing their scripts and Mm -hmm. um so the way that the average script is done, it's usually about 20 to 30 pages because the comics aren't that long. Um, mm-hmm. Gaiman writes something like 40 pages because he puts additional details in things that need to be included as part of the pictures. Mm-hmm. And Alan Moore does 80 pages. So Alan Moore wants little things in the background that will someday tell a story in like 18 episodes for issues forward. Like mm-hmm. that's. He also in- likes victimizing women. It's true. Um, so evidently Gaiman's first, or says his first book was an awful book about Duran Duran. Um, and when he went to give up the rights to it, he found out that the print run had sold out, but the publisher went bankrupt. And there are people who are like desperate to find copies of this book so they can have him sign it. (laughs) I I can see that. I can see that being a thing. Gaiman and an artist named Dave McKean, who is amazing, 
um they actually they work together for sandman so all those really cool sandman covers are dave mckean the original mm-hmm. illustrations in Coraline are from mckean um and he did a graphic novel with them called black orchid and dc mm-hmm. was like you know what neil feel free to go ahead and rewrite an old character how about this guy called the sandman and Neiman was like gaiman was like you know what I'm going to go entirely off topic and create like my own thing. So mm-hmm. he ends up creating this story that follows high magic and the way the world like runs and the secret worlds of fairy and just everything. And it's through the eyes a dream for at least the most part. So the mm-hmm. creations in this called the endless, this is what actually got me into comics other than Buffy. Um, it was death, dream, destruct- destruction, delirium, despair, desire, and destiny. And mm-hmm. the room used to be delight, but that's a whole other thing. Anyway, so he writes this comic. It becomes a huge series. That's what a lot of people know him from. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's, he just actually wrote a whole other series of new stuff. Um, he wrote a lot of Batman comics. He wrote Good Omens with Terry Pratchett, which is one of my favorite books of all time. Um, he published American Gods, Neverwhere, Anansi Boys, and Stardust. And most <laughs> of his books have actually been adapted to film, radio, or television, or are currently in production because Anansi Boys is in production. Mm-hmm. There was never going to be a second season of Good Omens, and now there is. And so I'm both intrigued and terrified. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I can see that being a concern. I mean, <sighs> so one of the yes. things that's funny is um, the name Coraline actually comes from a mistype. Gaiman was typing Caroline, and then he was like, you know what? I want to know what would happen if a girl's name was Coraline instead. Mm-hmm. And it ended up starting the thought process and going through that whole thing. Um, it's good that he had a typo because the book ended up winning the 2003 Hugo Awards for Best Novella, the mm-hmm. 2003 Nebula Awards for Best Novella, the 2002 Bram Stoker Awards for Young Readers, and mm-hmm. was ranked by the Guardian newspaper as 82nd in the top 100 best books of the 21st century. Um, okay. Since seven, he and Mary McGrath broke up. Um, Mm -hmm. He ended up meeting Dresden Dolls performer Amanda Palmer later on. Uh, The two fell for each other, but according to Palmer's biography, she said uh, she didn't think she could be a traditional or faithful wife. And evidently Gaiman told her he didn't plan to be a traditional or faithful husband. So, I mean, it works. Um, They ended up They got married among friends and she wore a wedding dress from when she used to do performances in Boston Common. Um, And then in 2009, uh, Coraline was adapted to a stop motion picture which caused major childhood trauma. He and Amanda Palmer lived with their son in New Zealand off and on. Um, He made some serious buzz though in 2020 because they had a very big fight and broke up and he Mm -hmm. flew back to the United Kingdom when everyone was in lockdown. So anyway, he ended up in the news, but they're now still together. And when they tour, they usually tour separately, but they sometimes will perform together. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wrote, he has won a ridiculous number of awards for his writing because I didn't want to copy and paste like 50 things. So anyway. Yeah, he has won a ton of awards. Also, I love him just like living in New Zealand, uh, which does increasingly look like a made up place. Like I have a friend in New Zealand, but it does not look like a real place that people live. It looks like just the rest of the back lot for uh, Lord of the Rings. Both Iceland and New Zealand have that quality. And I think that's like, I want to go to both of those places, but you know, you mm-hmm. see the pictures and you're like, no, that's gotta be Photoshop. That can't be that beautiful. And then the people are there are like, yeah, I can. 
Yeah, I can, I can see that being a thing. Uh, are there really any other adaptations that matter outside of the audiobook with his voice and then the terrifying movie? So I was surprised there were a lot of other things. There's a video game. It did not get good reviews. Um, there's yeah. evidently a musical stage play, a comic for, book. For whomst? And a freaking opera. Somebody wrote a Coraline opera. For whomst? I don't know. Okay. But yes, there is a movie that will make you hate everything. It's not a bad movie. It's just weirdly scary. Brianna at first was very hesitant to watch the movie because she was like, I don't want to watch something scary, which is hilarious because she loves the horror aesthetic, but she doesn't like to be scared. Same. But uh, she ended up watching it and then she's like, I don't ever want to watch that movie again. And we caught her watching it by herself again. We're like, okay, you're fine. Um, I mean, like, honestly, I'm the same way. But like, I really like the aesthetic of horror, but I honestly hate horror movies they scare the fuck out of me i don't like being afraid i don't like that like tense jump scare shit nah fuck all that but i love the aesthetics and the artifice of horror but nah i just like horror movies i just like them very much i love folk horror i love it because it's always the stranger going into this new world that they don't understand and usually they end up getting killed but what cracks me up is so much of it is like, we're going to make you go into this pagan world and we're going to sacrifice you. And I'm like, has anyone really done that since like the early thousands? Like, come on. I mean, there was the whole thing on North Senegal uh, Island where they're like, hey, if you come over here, we're going to kill you. And that guy went over there and they killed him and everyone was shocked. But like they said it very clearly like, hey, you cross this here line, we're, we're going to kill you. And then like shocked Pikachu face when they did kill him. Yeah, that, that's always interesting to me where it's like, no, we're going to, we're going to convince you that we can, we can change your religion. They're like, oh, we've been doing this for a few thousand years. Please leave us alone. Accurate. Okay. Uh, resources. There's a lot of resources I have to add more in, but um, there was an article in the Guardian. It was a review called The Other Mother. Mm-hmm. um Coraline Wikipedia Neil Gaiman Wikipedia because mm-hmm. I'm lazy mm-hmm. um The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer and then I have another one behind me involving scripts so a lot of this is just because I've read Neil Gaiman uh since I was in high school which mm-hmm. sounds so weird to say no it doesn't um, <laughs> but no it doesn't at all um I I love I love the work I love the concepts of the liminal I love his trickster mm-hmm. characters American Gods is like my favorite book of all time. So anyhow, that's what I listened to on audiobook when I was driving from California to Texas. So I didn't go crazy. That sounds like something that you would do. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Did you have to read this in school? No, I've actually never read this. Uh, I've now read it and I've seen the movie like half of it once and I was afraid. TBH is still very scared of dolls. Thank you. So I read this for fun in high school, like towards the end of high school uh, Mm -hmm. when it first came out. And when I worked at Barnes and Noble, a lot of kids had to come in to get a copy for school because it was on the Mm -hmm. list. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being like, um, 
which teacher told you to read this? <laughs> right. It's like, for hoops class is this for? Now, did I recommend it to a lot of adults and horror fans? Absolutely. Or people who just like dark fairy tales? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see do that your, being a thing. Your kids, have they read the following? Okay, they're going to be fine. So Valid. Valid. No lies detected here. What's um, I have a friend, her daughter is literally just the entire Coraline aesthetic without having read the book, but she is basically Coraline. Precocious, <laughs> spunky, inquisitive, a little snarky. Okay, Tori, uh, what are we reading next month for February? I know it's also Black History Month, but I wanted to do something a little sexy. So what are we reading, Tori? Punch you in the throat. No, I'm just kidding. I no, you're it. not. Um, I know you do. Dangerous liaisons. I'm so excited. This really is just so you can talk about the movie Cruel Intentions, isn't it? It sure is. And the one with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Wait, what? There is a, there's a dangerous liaison to Keanu Reeves. <laughs> well, suddenly I don't want to fight this so much. I Thank you. I have good ideas frequently. It's like that sound effect on TikTok. What are you, some kind of European toy maker? No, I am a genius. Yeah. In this movie, we have Glenn Close, John Malkovich, Michelle Fiverr, Uma Thurman, Keanu Reeves. This is 1988. And here's the I thing. have great ideas. I love Keanu. His performance as Jonathan Harker still makes me mad. I think Canoe is just fine. I think he was doing his best with the Francis Ford Coppola direction. Oh, Peter Capaldi's in here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Who let Peter Capaldi in? I love Peter Capaldi and I love the line when he became the doctor. He goes, I've got eyebrows that are independently crossed. Like, I j- it's true. It's a Scottish thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do. Michelle, I, for, I keep forgetting that Michelle Pfeiffer is in here and Uma Thurman, 1988 Uma Thurman is in this movie. Wasn't she like a baby? Yeah, this is such a good, yeah, we're going to have a great time. And then I'm definitely going to talk a lot about Cruel Intentions because I think it is my favorite movie. I remember like watching the VHS over and over again. And I mean, this kind of explains a lot now thinking, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, same. Like for me, it was the DVD, but it's like, huh, I kind of watched this movie a lot. Do we have any questions? <laughs> well, I, under- I understand some sexuality things now. Anyway, <laughs> where can the good people find a story? We are all over social media. We're at Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook, Unfortunately RR on Twitter unfortunately required on instagram or if you just want to go to one place unfortunately required reading.com we mm-hmm. also have a red bubble store where amanda puts up stickers of weird things that we say including yes. you including. Did, you made the heart on for the french logo and i saw i did it. i need to put it up and i laughed so hard <laughs> like we're gonna get banned <laughs> no we're not that's art uh i'll be doing a pretty big sticker drop over the next couple of days because i have been behind uh oh well we're on recording uh baron von cheeseplate says hello and he hopes that you're doing well oh i love baron von cheeseplate i hope he's doing well also 
I figured he'd get a kick out of that. So I figured I would just ask you while we're here. Uh, this is also the part where I show my ankles and say, please give us money. <laughs> Some Amish porn for your afternoon. Actually, I'm not going to show my ankles because I'm wearing leggings and that would require me putting my leg on the table, which is roughly the same height as my leg. Yeah, I don't think that was, that's going to happen. Not without some popping. Uh, so uh, if you would like to join Baron Von Cheeseplate uh, and support the Wine and Cheese Fund, you are welcome to do so at anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading. Uh, your financial support, of course, is not mandatory. We are not one of those podcasts, but it is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Uh, if you would like to suggest a book uh, or tell us a funny story about your English class, which none of our listeners are in class, that's fine. <laughs> you are welcome to do so at unfortunately required reading at gmail.com. Tori, do you want to do the closer this time? I always do the closer. Now, for the love of God, go read a book. Just, just go read a fucking book. Bye. Bye.